There it is. What a, if this is the greatest remix in the history of podcasting? And if anyone begs to differ, I'll fight you in an alleyway. Bring it on. Hold on now. <clears throat> Forgot it. All right, episode 156 of Three Beers In, ladies and gentlemen. Just when you thought it was over. Just when you thought that maybe he forgot. Here it is on this President's Day. The day that we celebrate all of the presidents of these United States. And I think it's also a combination of Washington and Lincoln's birthday, I want to say. But I'm not quite sure. But anyway, I hope you're having a great day. Hope you had off from work today. I did. And here we are, three beers in, the best beer podcast uh, in the world. And if I'm too, too loud, I'm going to bring down the gain a little bit, and I'm going to make sure that we come in five by five and everything's great and dandy. I've been drinking all this afternoon. I've been having some leftover beers, doing the review beer, having a fantastic time. What I do is I review the beer. I take out the beer, I pour it out, I smell it, I look at it, and then I write down my notes in a notebook. So I have a nice little ledger of everything I've ever done when it comes to... Drinking these beers and analyzing these beers and then bringing that information to the people because I think it's very important. Uh, So where have I been? Yes, I know. I missed last week. That is something that I did. It happens sometimes. I get it. Life gets in the way, but I finally did it, ladies and gentlemen. This is something that I've joked about and talked about for many of years now that I would tear my meniscus and lo and behold, I have torn my meniscus. That's right. My right knee has been ravaged with a meniscal tear uh, that it's, well, it's it's fucking awful. Let me just say that right now. So you might be thinking to yourself, Dom, how did this happen? What did you do? Uh, what's going on? So I've always had knee problems, obviously. I'm a very big man, okay? I'm, I'm well into the, into the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of... Upon hundreds of pounds, maybe? I don't know. I haven't weighed myself lately, but I'm a pretty big boy. I'm a pretty big guy, right? And I've always been an athletic man. I don't walk fat. I don't talk fat. You know, I kind of carry myself as is. I don't have to, you know, you know, do anything different. But uh, lately, uh, there's been a bit of an issue with my right knee. And it all came to a head on Tuesday of last week where I, I had a terrible, terrible uh, fall on the Staten Island Ferry. It was a rainy day, you know, and uh, I was walking onto the boat with some some friends, some uh, John Caceres, who's been on the show, and Eric Riccardi, who was someone that the show really loved uh, deeply. Everyone uh, loved Eric and everything like that. So coming on, and uh, there was a puddle that I just didn't see, and I was uh, doing an impression of Bernie Sanders, and there was a, a slip. And the problem was, if I had slipped, if I did a slip and fall, I think I would have been okay. But your natural rea- uh, reaction as a human being uh, when you slip is to try to not fall down, try to keep yourself up. And John, God bless him, he really tried his best to uh, to keep me upright. And it was kind of like a toddler trying to keep up the big show from uh, WWE. Wasn't going to happen. And uh, <clears throat> I really tried. And <clears throat> that's actually what did me in because I did a dramatic twist. On both my knees, actually, I did like a twist in on both my knees. Really hurt the the left one, but the right one was the was the real bad twist and the bad 
uh, feeling. So I, I remember getting up, uh, going, you know, to sit down and, um, I just remembered, you know, there being a lot of pain. Uh, so from Tuesday to Wednesday, I was like, okay, let's just see where this goes. It was still painful, still, still a problem. Walking wasn't great. And then, uh, on Wednesday, uh, the last week there is when I recall, going down the street uh, to go to work and getting on the the bus and I was sitting in a seat and I, and a, a better seat like became available. And I was like, Oh shit, let me just go get that better seat. And I went to get up and my body just wouldn't do it. Like, so like I had, I had the, the, the thought and the urge to just get up, but it wouldn't go. And that's when I knew there was a serious problem. That's when I knew that I needed to see, a doctor or something. So I went to work, um, you know, and went up to my boss, uh, midday. And I said, listen, I think I got to go home. I think I got to go to the hospital. This is the day before Valentine's day. I think it was the Thursday, the Thursday before Valentine's day, uh, which was Friday. And I said, I gotta, I have to, um, I gotta figure this out. No, 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 excuse me. I'm so wrong. It was the day before Valentine's day It was Wednesday, right? Wednesday was either way. I told him I had to go, and um, maybe I can get a live. Can I do this? Can I figure this out? Hold on one second. This is this is my knee right now. Hold on. Let me see if I can get the noise. Interesting noise. Let me see if I can get it. Hold on. Yeah. I don't know if that picked up. That may have been the most disgusting thing I've ever done on Three Beers In, but that was the sound of my knee right now bending and coming back again. Now, it may sound like there was, like, cloth rubbing together or something like that, but that was not the case. It was not touching my knee. That was literally just the sound of, I don't know, the fibers or something in my knee that have been destroyed. But nonetheless, I went home early from work. I was able to get an appointment with a walk-in um, orthopedic, which was really, really awesome and very convenient, uh, by the way. And they were able to see me, and um, they did x-rays of uh, my left knee and my right knee. And uh, when I went in to see the physician, he was like, listen, you know, usually you need an MRI to diagnose or see that you have torn your meniscus. But looking at these two x-rays, I could tell immediately that you did indeed tear your meniscus. And it's because of the amount of spacing between your femur and your tibia that is just completely missing that um, that I could tell that you you've done that extensive damage. And I said to him, I was like, basically, I was like, what can you do for me now? Because, I mean, I'm in a lot of pain. I can't walk. I can't do anything. And he said, uh, well, I'm going to give you, uh, I can give you a cortisol shot or cortisone shot, uh, and that'll help with the swelling and the pain. And then you'll be able to get out of here. And then we'll follow up in a couple of, uh, if a, a week or two, uh, do some imaging and then see whether we need to, we could approach this with physical therapy or with surgery and um, and go from there. So he gave me the shot. The shot was so uncomfortable it literally, I mean, the needle was, was huge. There was so much, so there was so much fluid on my knee to begin with because of the trauma and the injury. It was ballooned up. And then he added, you know, a whole fucking bunch more with the medication and the, I guess like saline or something to fucking put it in there with. And it was just so fucking uncomfortable. My wife, she didn't make it any better because she's sitting there just going, oh, Lord, no, don't do it. And like, you know, just not making it any better or anything like that. But nonetheless... This is what I have to deal with. I have a cane. Luckily, I don't have a job anymore that's that physical where I have to lift people and things and stuff. So I'm going to tell my boss because uh, they said, like, you think you can go to work? I was like, yeah, I could go to work. It's a, it's a desk job, basically. I could do that. So I'm going to tell him, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I have this problem and uh, 
hopefully this slack that can be picked up by coworkers and friends at the job there, colleagues. Uh, there's only so much that I could do right now. And now I just got to plan it out. And hopefully surgery will not be the course that is taken. Uh, hopefully it will be uh, something different, you know, like physical therapy or just keeping ice on it and just resting it as much as possible. Um, and we'll see. I mean, uh, it's it sucks, I'll tell you that much. I mean, th- th- I've always had a problem in this knee. And I always speculated that I did tear my meniscus in this knee already. So whether or not that this is already an injury that I may have aggravated or or whatever, all I know is that it's finally come to fruition. It's come to a head. And now it's just I got to go from there and uh, and fix it. I mean, it's not going to be easy, obviously. This is a painful thing. I mean, you could definitely see how some professional athletes tear their meniscuses and can continue to play. Because, for example, the game of the shot, the pain dramatically reduced. I mean, it's nowhere near as much. But it is sore. It's quite sore, and it's quite tight because there's a lot of swelling in there. They gave me a prescription um, anti-inflammatory to take, but I read on the bottle it has a very adverse reaction. Excuse me. I'm burping. Mm. Has an adverse reaction with alcohol, which means that I'm not be able to do the show and take this medication. So I stopped taking it for two days to make sure I could do this show because this show is more important than my health. Do you understand? I understand that I've been gone and people have been wondering where I've been. I have two to four emails regarding where I've been. I actually have two questions that I want to get to today. I decided that it's time for me to go back to the emails. People have been emailing me questions. I've been responding to them through the email, but they want to hear their name and they want to hear their question on the show. So I got a couple that I'm going to hit up today on the podcast, maybe before I do the beer news, because it's a very slow beer news week or two weeks. There's not been much going on. And once we get into the beer discussion, I have a lot to say in terms of where the hell is all the winter ale. Okay. But that's going to be a little bit later in the show. I want to welcome everybody again. Thank you so much for listening. And my meniscus is torn. It sucks. But uh, what are you going to do, right? But let's go on to the hop of the week and figure out, you know, that situation and uh, enjoy that. Okay. This week we are going to look at Serrera. Serrera hop. Uh, Serrera. I think that says Serrera. Serrera. Let me write this down on the notebook here. It is C-E-R-E-R-A, and is the sister to Salea, and has a pleasing continental aroma similar to Saj, uh, developed in Slovenia in the 1980s. It hails from the Styrian Golding and a Yugoslav male, and is classified as a seedless, super Styrian triploid variety. Uh, poor storage stability has made Sirera a poor candidate for widespread commercial production. It is not considered useful for single hop bittering as it has high tannoids. Uh, it avoids the astringency. Uh, it avoids to avoid the astringency that comes with the excess tannins. Try comparing Serrera with other high alpha varieties. So it sounds like it's a, even though it's a bittering and aroma hop. With Saj characteristics, it seems like it's a it's a it's a hard one to figure out. I mean, it's got some really interesting uh, you know directions there, but it's five to six percent alpha alpha acid composition, uh, four to four point five beta acid composition, and uh, that's it. That's really all that we got for for this type of hop. It's definitely something that I don't think that I have come across 
in the years that I have been drinking craft beer. But nonetheless, uh, that is going to be the beer of uh, this week. So, oh, sorry, I hit the microphone there. So now I want to get on to the beer news, ladies and gentlemen. We do have a whole... But we do not have a whole bunch of beer news. Let me not let me not start by saying that because that would be a lie to the people of the show. It has been a very slow beer news uh, a week, two weeks, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So this one coming out of Madison.com. Lordy, Lordy, Sierra Nevada is uh, 40. Chris Drosner for the State Journal here says, Turning 40 is a pretty big deal for a person, even if your parents start asking if you feel old. Well, at least mine did. But for a brewery, marking a 40th, 40th year is a huge deal. Sure, there are plenty of really old breweries, especially around here. Three of the ten oldest breweries are right here in Wisconsin. This is where the guys are writing the, uh, writing the article. But 40 is a kind of middle age that has very little company among American brewers. Uh, in fact, in this way at least, Sierra Nevada has none. It's the oldest remaining brewery that began during what would become known as the craft beer era. Uh, uh, now... Let me try to, you know, so my love for Sierra Nevada is pretty deep because I remember when I discussed this on the show earlier, I said that uh, Sam Adams was kind of the number one craft brewery that kind of got me into craft beer. And that's kind of the same for everybody. But I think my number two, and, I, and I'm pretty sure I'm correct in saying that this is my number two, that would be Sierra Nevada. I mean, you know, I remember having their pale ale and then I have their torpedo IPA. You know, their barley wine, they're, they're pretty much, there's, there's so much from Sierra Nevada that I've had and that I've enjoyed throughout. Every time I've had a beer from Sierra Nevada, it's been something that I've, that I've thoroughly enjoyed. The Hazy IPA is really good. They have an Imperial IPA as well. Uh, and they have their 40th anniversary IPA, which uh, should be available, uh, for everybody, you know, soon. It's a hop forward beer that, uh, yeah, you know, wasn't really popular uh, in the 1980s, but it has intense pine and citrus with the deep gold color and slight caramel sweetness. And I, what I really, really like about Sierra Nevada, if you go on their website, they will show you, um, somewhat show you what they're using in terms of ingredients. So here for their uh, 40th anniversary, they have here a two-row pale caramelized malts, uh, acetylated malts. Um, they said that they use uh, cluster cascade and sentinel hops with an ale yeast. They're not telling you the specific yeast that they're using, but it is indeed an ale yeast, and it's at a 6. Uh, 6.0 ABV. And it's really cool because they have a whole story about the the brewmasters there and their story about Sierra Nevada and where they've been, and and um and where they are today. And I think that the Sierra Nevada is really one of those staples of craft brewery or craft brewing that should hang there with Sam Adams. Uh, you know, it's something that isn't mentioned quite often, and it should be because they, I mean, they're an ambassador, you know, uh, especially for hops in the in the 2000s. And, they, and they've, you know, they've had, for me at least, one or two uh, exciting, you know, products that you can you could enjoy um, at any time. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's really, really special, and I think that's really, really cool. Um, so now I also have an article here from uh, psalmbeer.com. And I know that I mentioned this earlier, which was the the Paps was making a uh, IPA, and this is a gentleman who was actually able to get it, and uh, and he wrote an article about it, and he said, uh, 
And he got it here from, like I said, soulandbeer.com. Seabird is a session IPA that clocks in at a 4.5, which has no IBU rating. The beer comes in a 16-ounce can with a beautiful blue and gold label. The artwork on the can is really well done. Uh, it found his eye, uh, being drawn to it multiple times while he sat at the counter and Googling the tidbits of information that are printed on the label. Seabird pours a deep copper color and is not what he would call hazy at all. But it isn't clear either. In a state where uh, the session market is dominated by all-day IPA, uh, which is by founders, uh, this looks more like what you would expect from a flagship IPA. On the nose, you get a lot of standard IPA characteristics. There's a hop presence that is backed by a floral citrus smell that is just a hint of grassiness on it. The malt is dialed back quite a bit on the Seabeard. It gives the beer a very light mouthfeel, which is refreshing, but it still finishes with a slight sticky dankness that you would expect from this style of beer, Seabird is brewed with Magnum, Citra, Cascade, and Mosaic. I remember that type of quadruple or that type of uh, that co uh, collective of hops sounds really, really nice. And it said that the, he said here that they blend together flawlessly in the beer. The hops all do a fantastic job of balancing out the flavors that pop in the beer, primarily, uh, primarily citrus and floral notes. In many ways, Seabird reminds me, um, reminded me of what I enjoyed about the IPA style, Seabird is a classic representation of this beer style and should be uh, appealed uh, to uh, many a beer drinker. At the end of the day, Seabird is an extremely well-balanced, drinkable beer. One of the reasons I love Pilsers and Lagers so much is because they are styles of beer that are approachable and refreshing. Simply put, there are, there are beers that are easy to drink. Seabird has managed to achieve this. So many IBAs are abrasive and overpowering and are... And really put forth an effort to throw you around um, the room a bit. There's nothing wrong with that. And the style of beer certainly earned its place in the craft beer world. Seabird is occupying a different uh, niche and is extremely welcoming. And uh, is an underrepresented uh, style of IPA. So, I mean, this guy's... A, I really think that me and this guy, John Farner, if we were to sit down with a bunch of beers and drink them, we would have a very similar a similar um, palette because I think this is very interesting in terms of his approach. It, it rings true. There are so many IPAs out there that just really rattle your cage. And, you know, that is to be expected because it is a market that is dominated by the IPA, double IPA and the like. And uh, when you're trying to fight for your place in that marketplace, you really have to, you really have to make a splash. And what happens is, you could have some really rampant, crazy beers. The one I'm drinking right now is a New England style IPA, and it's delicious. I can't wait to uh, discuss it. I didn't say what beer I was drinking. Oh, my God. I started the show, and I went right into meniscus, but we're drinking on episode 156 here. Tower number four by Forgotten Boardwalk, a curious brewery and refuge. Forgotten Boardwalk Brewing Company out of Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's a 6.8 alcohol by volume. It's a tall boy cam. Old Shaky collapses at sea once a poorly constructed early warning beacon disguised as an oil rig. Tower 4 did little to protect the U.S. from Soviet threats before claiming the lives of the crew. Oh, my God. Today, the wreckage is at the bottom of the ocean, 150 miles off the New Jersey coastline, visited only by sea creatures and the infrequent diver. Very bizarre can there. But, um... Where have I been, man? I had... I started talking about my fucking meniscus, and I forgot to tell you that Beverage Island still isn't open. Oh, my God. This is a tragedy right here, people, okay? A tragedy. 
I have not stepped foot in the Shangri-La of Beverage Island, the new place. It's it, they're still. I mean, I called them, right? They're not open yet, but I gave them a call, and they're like, "We're not ready to deliver or sell beer yet. We're still waiting." I don't know what he meant by that, but he said we can sell you Sprite and Coca-Cola. Um, if they don't open their doors as a as a beer distributor, I'm gonna be fucking devastated. Okay, I'm gonna be fucking devastated. Um, let me see how I'm gonna put this. I went to um, Joe Canals uh, two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? It was before the meniscus. So it was the Saturday before the meniscus. Uh, and I, I did well. I got what I needed to get. But the craft beer selection is really small, okay, in comparison to Beverage Island. I mean, everything is comparison to Beverage Island. Like I said, Beverage Island is the mecca for me in terms of just the vast area in which you could pick up craft beer. I mean, especially when they do it by brewery, you got the evil twin area, you have the stone area. I mean, it's just, they did it so well and they're going to get a bigger floor space and I'm just dying for them to open up because I really didn't mind. I didn't mind going to Joe House. I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. I got my wife a nice little bottle of Moscato, which she enjoyed, but at the same time, I need Beverage Island. I really do need it to open up. But I, I, I made out like a bandit over there in Joe Canals. Didn't spend too, too much money. And I got a nice eclectic uh, grouping of beers that I think is going to be good. That's why I have a beer here from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is why I mentioned before that I might just pop over to Joe Canals maybe once every month, maybe once a month or so or bi-monthly or so to try to get some beers that are not necessarily in the union rotation of distribution that is popular with the distributors out here in New York City. So I do have a little bit of a, of, uh, a variety there by doing that. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, I just have to give you my experience with that. Beverage Island, please open. Please, I need you guys to open up soon. I need you guys back. I will go to Joe Canals if I have to, because at the end of the day, I'm still just a consumer, just like all of you, everyone that's listening here is a consumer that goes out there and wants to have delicious beer. I happen to have a situation where I have to buy beer that's unique every time because I want to do a unique craft beer review every time I do a show. So in order to keep that product coming to the people, I have to be very specific in terms of what I get. Nonetheless, really happy with my selections. At Joe Canals, I was a little panicky because I remember I told you guys when I walked into that other beer distributor on Staten Island that I will not name because I don't do that. I was I was a little concerned because I'm looking around. I had all of it, okay. I drank all of the, these beers, okay. And now when I was at Beverage Island, uh, not Beverage Island, Joe Canals, uh, it was beers that weren't familiar, but I wanted to do a, a little bit of a mix and stuff. And I could see where I could run into a little bit of a problem in terms of not being able to do a mix and match because I went to the mix and match area where you could build your own six pack. Because for me, it it's cost efficient for me to do maybe two to three beers at a time that are unique. Okay. You're buying, you know, a six pack each show, you know, $20 a show, you, you know, you're, you're racking up a bill there, but nonetheless, I was able to get that done. And what I found really interesting and really cool about, um, Joe Canals is that they had German beer there that was on a very cheap. And I was like, I bought all this craft beer. I was like, what am I going to drink tonight? Cause I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday. I was like, what am I going to drink tonight? I want to have something tonight. And I had a, a nice Paul and our Hefeweizen six-pack, which if you're in the mood for something different and something really bright and refreshing and fun, go get yourself any fucking German-style Hefeweizen because they're all going to be 
pretty similar. There's not too much differences in all of the German stock, whether it's Bitburg or Vorstein or Paulin or Spaten, all those things, Weinhischefanda, they're all going to have pretty similar flavored Hefeweizens if they have them and lagers and stuff like that. So you don't do yourself a disservice by getting any of those. And it was a really great, I mean, I, the Pauliner, I think, is a 5.2, and I think, like, the, uh, the uh, whatchamacallit, the uh, Bitburger or the uh, uh, Hofbrau, um, Hofbrau Hefeweizen is uh, 4.8, so there's a difference there, but nonetheless, you're going to get a very, really delicious beer. And another thing I wanted to bring up is where's all the fucking winter ale at, right? So I went to this Joe Canals out there, which was great. You know, I really had a great time out there. I, I like the feel of Joe Canals because I feel like no one judges you when you're buying a whole bunch of alcohol because the place is just fucking littered with it. And I'm looking around. I'm like, give me a winter ale. Somebody give me something winter. I can't find it. Now, Flagship has stepped up their game because they have a, an Irish stout right now. An, excuse me, an Irish coffee stout, which they uh, collaborated with a local coffee roast place here on Staten Island, which is really, really neat. And they also have a winter ale that's out too. And I have, I've been meaning to go get that. And I think that's the next thing I'm going to go get, but I can't find any craft winter ale out there. Granted, I haven't been to Beverage Island, but when I went to the other place that shall not be named, that's from Staten Island, couldn't find any winter ale. When I went out to Beverage, uh, uh, I keep saying Beverage Island, when I went out to Joe Canals, can't find winter ale anywhere. I'll do stouts. I'll do stouts. Let me take a sip here. I'll do stouts, but you know what? There's no winter ales. Where's the craft winter ales? I get that they're not that easy to make, and I understand that the market's being dominated by the hazy IPAs and and crazy stouts and stuff like that, but there is something to be said about a, a, a brown ale or a winter ale that is just not really there right now, and it's and it's and it's quite upsetting. So here is an appeal to the heavens. Please, somebody, give us some uh give us some fucking winter ales, right? Going to move on to some of the emails here. And this this first one is from Justin in Brooklyn here. And uh, I really appreciate everyone that sent me emails. And, and I hope that you enjoyed me responding to you. But th these these two guys have spoken to me. We have a little bit of a correspondence in the email situation. And they were like, we want to we want our question on the show. You used to do that. You did that a few weeks ago. And now you're not doing it anymore. So you know what? I have to. I'm going to oblige you guys. And I'm going to put your your questions on here and uh, for everyone to hear. So Justin from Brooklyn says... Uh, what are some traits of a beer to justify pouring it down the drain in your personal or professional opinion? And Justin, I really appreciate that question. And um, I've been in situations where I've uh, like uh, the great Pete Sullivan, who's a, who's a great friend of the show and a, and a, and a wonderful f family and friend of mine uh, who we've, I've been over his, his, uh, his manner and we've, we've sampled beer and tried beer together. And what we do is we'll, We'll crack one open. We'll pour them into these lovely glasses. And he actually gifted me uh, one of the glasses that's here right now. It's not empty, so I can't do the patented Pete Sullivan ting. Um, but, uh, you know, if we don't like it, you know, you're sitting there. You're a guest in the guy's house. You don't want to say, this is disgusting. I want to dump it, right? But he took the lead, thankfully, and he was like, this is nasty. We're dumping it out. We're done. We're on to the next one. If you don't like it, that's it. It ain't rocket science. Dump it out and move on. Now... <clears throat> If you paid that money for a six pack and you don't and, and and you feel like you've been gypped, that's why you always have to have a reserve beer waiting to go. <laughs> this is a, this sounds like a layered alcoholism, but it's not. If you're going to branch out and you're going to try something different, you got to be ready if you want to get your drink on to have something in the reserve. That's why I always have 
I always try to have like Bell's Too Hearted in my fridge because that is such a solid, delicious go-to beer. Bell's Too Hearted or maybe some new Belgium Fat Tire, even though actually no more because they just sold. So try to get your, your Bell's on. Get some Bell's Too Hearted and leave it in your fridge because no matter what the meal is, no matter what the situation is, no matter where you're at, you cr- you crack open two bottles of Bell's Too Hearted, you're good to go. It go like I said, you have it with any meal. You can have it in any situation. You you they're crushable. They're delicious. They're a staple that should be in. They are the PBR of craft beer. Okay, like they should be. They're the Budweiser, so to speak, of craft beer. And that's no disrespect to Bell's. What I'm trying to say is, it's the industry standard, in my opinion. You should have some of it in your fridge. And Justin, I really appreciate it. And if you email again, I'll talk about it um, on the show. Now, this is a guy who emailed me earlier, and I I messaged him back, but he said he wanted to hear it on the show to send to his buddies. And this is Caleb from Cincinnati, and he says here, where to start trying beer. Uh, Little experience. This is what he wrote to me here, by the way. Little experience drinking beer as I've drank SoCo 100 exclusively. For the past six to seven years, and not much uh, before that. God bless you for uh, still being with us uh, in terms of being alive. He had Miller GD PBR cores all many, many years ago and wasn't fond of those. More recently, have had tried Natty Ice with a friend, aware its poor reputation and didn't like it yet. Didn't like it. Didn't wait. Didn't like it yet. Did like the effect. Okay, so you like to get boozed up. So where is a good place to start something easy too? I'm assuming you wanted to say easy to drink. So, um, Caleb, if you want to talk shit about me doing your goddamn emails, right, reading your shit on the air, why don't we try starting to speak English a little bit? You know, let's start there and then we'll move on. So you're obviously a boozer. That's nothing wrong with that. You want to get a little lit. No big deal. I see that you're trying to have all these macros. Pretty sure you had Budweiser. You had Coors. You had Miller. You know, all those macro type of beers. Switch it the fuck up. I would go with something out of this world crazy. Go with fucking Guinness, right? Because I know you're going to have that where you're at. Get a Guinness, okay? Or try like a a sour beer. Try like a a Dogfish Head, um, what is it? Sea Quench or their Blood Orange. Get outside of the box. Get outside of the macro. And the reason I want to say something so drastic is because... When you start at 100, you know, right now you've been drinking beers that are at a zero, right? MGD is a zero. PBR is a zero. Coors is a zero. If you go to Sam Adams, you're going to be at a a 23 to 29, right? I want you to go to 100. I want you to go straight to 100. I want you to drink some crazy fucking beers, right? And then bring yourself back down to the center. Because I guarantee if you have those wacky fucking out-of-this-world brews... And then you have some of these, like, you know, more, you know, down-to-earth type brews, you know, like your Sam Adams uh, Boston Lager or your uh, Founders All Day IPA, you know, stuff like that. You'll be a little bit uh, more based. But also try to um, speak English when you fucking email me, okay? And I don't want to sound like an elitist, but that was pretty shitty of you. Uh, Okay, this next article here is from craftbeer.com, and uh, this guy, Andy Sparhawk, Decided to do a Girl Scout cookie beer pairing guide. And uh, I'm not going to read what the guy wrote because the beers that he suggested, no one knows what the fuck they are. Let me take a sip here. 
This guy's suggesting breweries from Virginia, California, and Colorado that no one's ever heard of. Lost Rhino, Pocock, and Dostal. Sorry, guy. I know that I'm a New York-based podcast, and I tr- and I hit an audience. I'm huge in fucking France right now, which is crazy, but I don't think that they have that shit out there. So I'm going to read the cookie that he has here, his little blurb, and then the beer that I would suggest that would go well with these cookies. So the first thing we have here is Thin Mints, and he suggests a dry stout. In style, as in beer pairing, avoid being too matchy-matchy. However, the dark chocolatey wafer character shared in the stout and a thin mint cookie works so well to elevate the cooling mint that it is pairing taboo we're willing to risk. It's an all-black tux with a cool green pocket square. God, this guy's so clever with his wording. So he put down all these crazy fucking stouts down. I thought, you know, a dry stout, something that's uh, not too sweet, not too over the top, nothing like Duclaw or anything like that. I said go with a Guinness Dry, Extra Dry. They have Extra Dry. Go with a Guinness Extra Dry Stout. I think that would go really well with the Thin Mint in terms of the characteristics and in terms of trying to balance the two. And it's easily available. You can find that anywhere. The next cookie we have here is Caramel Delights slash Samoas. Now, the reason that this is actually what got me the most pissed off at this article is I don't, I've never heard this cookie be called by anything but Samoas. Okay, if I'd seen this guy and he said, have you ever had a Caramel Delight? And I'm like, what? And he's like, you know, a Samoa, I'd kick him in the balls. I would just, I would rear up and kick him as hard as I can in the nuts and then maybe chop him in the throat. But then he writes a cookie with so much going for it, like the Caramel Delight. Oh, God, I wrote it. I read it again. Samoa. It's Samoa, you motherfucker! Let me get a sip of beer. I'm really sorry about that. Okay. A cookie with so much going for it, like the Samoa toasted coconut caramel and a garnish of chocolate, needs a pairing to match the cookie's intensity. Aim for a strong malty Doppelbach that lends complementary flavors. Doppelbach, by the way. And a warming character that will help emulsify even the ooey gooeyest caramel. I want this guy to pass away. I actually want him to die. Because reading. What he's writing is getting me so angry that I cannot even describe it. So he wrote uh, a whole bunch of fucking beers that no one knows about. I said, get yourself a Troganator Doppelbach. What's a Doppelbach? What is a Doppelbach? Right? Allaboutbeer.com says that this subcategory of box style Doppelbachs are extra strong, rich, and weighty lagers characterized by an intense malty sweetness with a note of hop bitterness to balance the sweetness. And for me, I say that the Troganator really takes the cake when it comes to Doppelbachs. You can't get one better than that. And it's readily available. You can find it anywhere. For the next one, he has shortbread. Uh, and he says to put with it an English-style pale ale. He goes, want the secret to dynamic beer pairings? It's simplicity. Ugh. I hate him. So he says anything like ESB, bull kelp ESB, or happy amber. No one knows what that is. Maybe Caleb does because the other one's from Cincinnati. But I say a nut brown ale by Alesmith. It's got the smooth, rich Dark, malty, tasty deliciousness with some East Kent Goldings in it. You're good to go. 
It's going to go well with a shortbread, I'm telling you right now, because, you know, I wouldn't personally eat cookies and drink beer at the same time, but if you're going to do it, go with that because it's going gonna, it's gonna to balance very well. Next one he has here is peanut butter parodies. Peanut butter parodies. It's a tongue twister. And he suggests a Belgian-style quadruple. And I immediately stopped what I was doing, and, and I threw my phone across the room. That's disgusting. It is way too fucking sweet for you to have a quad with peanut butter patties. I would go with As Follows by Stillwater Artisanal, which is something we had here. It's a solid, full-flavored full Belgian strong ale. You know, you're going to have that... You're going to have that um, that Belgian-y characteristic to it, which I think does complement peanut butter well. I know it sounds crazy, but it I think it would... Because it has like that clove flavor, that coriander flavor, and um, banana-y flavor that would go well with a peanut butter. Because, you know, Elvis would have a peanut butter and banana fried sandwich, and he died happy. So, you know, go with that. The next thing we have here he wrote was uh, Savannah Smiles uh, with a Berliner-style vice. Um, That's disgusting. Okay, it's absolutely disgusting. Hell to the no! Sorry if I burst at anyone's eardrums, but I have never, ever in my life of drinking beer, which has been a while now, I've been drinking beer for a while, I have never had a Berliner Weiss that I enjoyed. It's fucking disgusting. Every time I've ever had one, it tastes like pure vomit. Don't do it. You're only going to hurt yourself, and it's only going to be absolutely just disgusting. Just don't do it, okay? What do I suggest? I suggest instead of that, you go with a Hefeweizen. Now, I told you earlier when I went to Joe Canals, I picked up one for my pleasure because I do drink for business, right? When I do the show, when I drink beers, it's all for the show. I don't try beers on my own. I don't try new beers on my own. You know, quite frankly, I like to keep it solid. I like to keep it uniform i like beers that i like and i keep it like that but here for the show i got to do new beers every time and a half a wise is such a solid delicious beer that you should have in your fridge with your bells too hearted you got bells too hearted someone says oh i want to try something a little different whip out a half a wise whip out a half a wise and beer you'll be like you've never had something like this this ain't your budweiser this ain't your cores you ain't your miller Hefeweizens have a very unique flavor to them, a very bright, delicious flavor to them. Springtime is coming. Yes, we missed out on all the winter ales. The craft breweries decided not to brew them at all, except a couple of your locals. But spring is coming, and Hefeweizen, that is going to be the beer that's going to drive me through the weekends. And through. I mean, I'm going to have Hefeweizens before I start the show, from now on. When I do the show, I'm doing them on Sundays kind of from now on. And when I start, before I start the show, I'm going to have me a couple of Hefeweizens before I go full tilt. So that is my take on the Girl Scout cookie pairings. I wouldn't do it personally, but if you're going to do it, why don't you take my advice over this guy? Cause he seems like a cunt. Uh, okay. I'm going to go get the show beer and I'll be right back. Uh, one second. Okay. Walked over and got it. I have to walk with a cane, which is so pathetic, but, uh, I don't think it's pathetic. It's just kind of what I'm, where I'm at right now. So, Oh, shit. Tower number four by Forgotten Boardwalk. Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is, I think, mid-Jersey or northern Jersey from where I'm at. Good lacing on the glass, by the way, as I uh, pour this second can of it. I've had it before. I have my notes down. Um, Man, the aroma is just so inviting, especially on the pour. 
Look at that butte. Look at that. All right. Let's go start. Let's start off with the look of the beer. We have a pale, pale, pale. It's like an eerily yellowish hue, brownish color. It's almost gray. It's a very interesting, interesting, weird color that was so perplexing to me at first. And I said to myself that I, maybe I wouldn't like this. I don't know how I just got a, a lisp. But nonetheless, the haziness of it. I wrote here, hazy AF, which means hazy as fuck. Two fingers of head. Uh, even the head starts to lace a little bit because I let it sit a little bit in the glass. And there was lacing where the head was dissipating, which was a... A really nice um, uh, neatness to it. Uh, you can't tell anything about the carbonation by the look because it's just so damn hazy. I mean, it really is a, a thick haziness to it. You know, by looking at this beer, especially now when I hold it up, uh, you look at it and you say to yourself, this is going to be, it's it's going to have a very smooth mouthfeel to it, a thick mouthfeel to it, just by looking at it. I really can't get over the color because it's like a, almost like a, a gray yellow pale yellow like a white yellow it's really hard to describe let's go to the smell here first thing i wrote here in quotes was quote unquote my god uh it's got a sweet sweet juicy tropical fruit smell to it very sweet citrus smell mango peach passion fruit just everything that you want in what would be a juice bomb here you know what i mean so like it looks like it's going to be a juice bomb. It smells like it's going to be a juice bomb. Everything that you would want in a New England style IPA was coming to fruition with this beer. It's got like a very subtle dankness to it in terms of the hop characteristics. It's just not overpowering. It's just sitting there gently in the back. Uh, great aroma. I'm still smelling it here. It's just so good. Let's go to the taste here, shall we? Mm. No flakes in there or anything like that. No lactose floating around. But what we have here is a bomb. Okay. It isn't an A-bomb. Not an atom bomb. But we finally have a bomb. Because I was waiting for a juice bomb this whole time. All season two. With all the New England style IPAs. I was just disappointed. But here we are. Heavy, smooth mouthfeel. Low carbonation. Um... Almost as if the color of this beer was an indicator of how the flavor was going to be. It's like subtle. It's not... There's no punch in the mouth here in terms of a juicy flavor. So that's where it's kind of where it kind of falls flat a little bit. Uh, it's subtle. Like a ripe orange, ripe peach. Uh, where you want a pop in the tartness or brightness. It just doesn't shine. So it doesn't... It, it's smooth. I mean, really creamy. Ultra smooth beer. Very slick mouthfeel. Uh, not too carbonated, but when you're ready for just that kick of maybe like orange juice or mango juice or passion fruit or like just even grapefruit. Give me like juicy grapefruit with that bitterness. It just doesn't come. It doesn't pop. It doesn't hit. Uh, there is a gentle hop bitterness and dryness at the end. Very sneaky. Very, very sneaky. It's 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 crushable. It's dry enough. It's just not a slam dunk or a nuclear weapon, would I say? It's TNT, but it's not dynamite. No, it's TNT. It's dynamite, but it isn't Fat Boy or Little Man in terms of it being a bomb. There's not a nuclear weapon here. 
So when I was going to score this beer, I said to myself, do I score it on the letdown or do I score it on where it stands in terms of just everything in terms of a New England style IPA? And uh, doing that, I give it a 7.7, which is a solid score. Uh, it's it's not over the top. It's it's not crazy. It's crushable. It's super crushable. Is it memorable? I think so. I think for a local brewery, like a Jersey uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey brewery, you would say, like, this is pretty fucking good. Mm. I'll say it like this. It's well done. It's an all-around delicious beer. It hits all the marks. But it just doesn't wow me to the fact that I would give it more than a 7.7. I would maybe give it an 8.0 as we go along, but 7.7, I think it's very fair. I will say this about this beer. Um, this is the type of beer that drinking it right now in terms of like how I'm reviewing it, I would definitely want to try more from this brewery. I would definitely say to myself, I would want to see what's in their regular rotation, what they have on tap. It's on tap right now um, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, where they're located. Um, so you could go there and get it on the tap and maybe get um, a crowler of it or a growler of it and uh, try it at your home. But um, ooh. Pretty good. Pretty darn good. It's it's um it's growing on me. Now I'm tasting like a a slight pineapple-y, uh, like rind almost like a bitterness. It's a solid beer. It's a solid beer, but I think 7.7 .7 is a is a fair score for it. I'm trying to be as fair as possible with the scoring in terms of like where we are with um our beers. So yeah, I think I think that's a good score. So for 7.7 .7 for for this beer is actually is actually pretty decent, I think. You know? But that's uh once again Tower Number Four by Forgotten Boardwalk, which it's not there's not a lot about it online. Uh because it's uh one of their fairly newer brews, but I definitely would want to try something else from this place for sure. Uh I really appreciate everyone that listened this week. Um thank you for your thoughts and prayers about my knee, even though I didn't get them yet, but I'm sure I will. I appreciate everyone that's listening, especially everyone in France. It's so crazy. It's such a big following in France. But everyone that's been listening, shout out to everybody. You know who you are. The ones that have been listening since the beginning. You guys are the best. You're the reason that I do it. It's the best time I have in my whole life. It's the, it's the best hobby I got. I fucking do a beer review show. And I appreciate all of you that support me and that listen. Anything you want to say, drop me a line at the website or drop me a line in the email. I love you guys. I'm going to catch you next week. I'll let you know how we're doing with the knee. And uh, be well, everybody. Enjoy your President's Day. Enjoy, enjoy your short week, okay? Take care, guys. Love you guys. You're the best.